Hello and welcome to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. This week's episode inspiration comes from Rebecca and she called in with this question. Hey Carly, I'd love to hear about resilience and self-care strategies as we come into a new year, um, especially off the back of last year where um, I think a lot of us used all of our self-care and resilience strategies and maybe what used to work um, no longer has the same effect or doesn't work um, because of the difference in our circumstances. So how we start or start from scratch again or pivot and um, yeah, change, change things up so that what we are doing to look after ourselves um, this year and moving forward is really effective and meeting the needs and um, the demands of what's in front of us. Thanks. Well, isn't that just the question for the ages? I love this topic. It's so universally appropriate at the moment. Everyone has been affected by the pandemic, most of us directly. The problem we're having is that the pandemic is going on for ages. Half the world are entering their second year in lockdown. And even though vaccines are being rolled out throughout the world, it's still going to be quite a while before things feel normal again. Then there's the sense of impending doom about the global financial recovery. What will international travel look like? When can families living abroad see each other again? What kind of an impact has the need for next level hygiene had on the waste reduction we were working so hard to achieve? Will CBDs ever be the same again now people know that they can work effectively from home? This week's friend guest is my beautiful friend Felicity. We met in a production of West Side Story almost 20 years ago now. At first, I didn't like her because she was cast as the dance partner of my best mate, As, and he thought that she was really awesome. And because I was 18 years old at the time, I had a lot of internalized misogyny and I was like, no, he's my best friend. Anyway, it turns out they actually really liked each other, which is awesome because they hooked up and I ended up best mates with both of them and was a bridesmaid for Fliss when they got married a couple of years ago. So Fliss is a psychologist and she's one of the kindest, most calming and most beautiful people I've ever met. She gives the best life advice and she's one of those people that I crave seeing when I haven't seen her in a while. I thought she'd be an amazing person to work with on this episode because she's done a lot of work with children in the past. And I reckon a lot of what we teach kids these days was skipped over when our generation was at school. So I think it's really cool to go back and see what skills we missed out on and how we can implement those into our lives. So here is my chat with Fliss about building and maintaining our resilience in 2021. Hi, love. How are you? How's your week been? I'm good. Thank you. Um, my week's been not too bad. We've actually had, um, I've been a little bit sick this week. Oh, no. And so is Audrey. So, but we I had my COVID test and I'm all clear. That's good. Um, so, yeah, no, we're sort of bouncing back and looking forward to the Easter break. Did you know I haven't had a COVID test? Haven't you? I haven't needed one because oh. way back, I got sick way back at the beginning of whenever yeah. last time and I didn't have to have one, mm. but they weren't doing them back then. And then I just haven't really been sick. Like I've had a little tickle in my throat and been like, oh, if it's still there tomorrow, I'll go get a COVID test. Mm. And then it's just gone. So well, it was actually the first one I've had. And I'm assuming they've got it much better because it was, you know, like it wasn't an ex a great experience, but it wasn't a bad experience. Like yeah. it was fine. Like you just open your mouth, say, ah, they do a little swab and then 
do a little bit up your nose and push it up probably a little bit further that's than is usually comfortable but I think I don't know the person who did it was usually really comfortable how, <laughs> how often are you shoving things let's up your nose let's not talk about uh, <laughs> let's not talk about shoving things up our noses in this shall we love <laughs> so the reason why I've got you here is to pick your brains about resilience in 2021 so from a psychology point of view what do you think the pandemic has done to the collective psyche do you know that I actually thought that that was um, an interesting question and it actually made me stop and think because I guess doing the work that I do, I often work more with people one-on-one. Um, and so, and I guess because it's been so busy, to be honest, I haven't actually sort of, yeah, sat back and thought about that. But um, I think in thinking about it, lack of control has just been a huge, huge thing for all of us. I mean, I don't remember this time last year we were visiting you. You were. You were here um, at our house, yeah. Yeah, and that was just nothing really. We just decided we wanted to come visit you for the weekend and off we went. Um, and I think, you know, so much of our everyday life um, we've experienced a lack of control in and it's a lack of control that we didn't really have the opportunity to prepare for. So, you know, normally, you know, with any change comes stress, I guess, even if you're thinking about, um, you know, you want to go to the gym and get fitter, you'll go and lift weights and then lift a bit heavier weights and over time your body will adjust. Whereas with this, um, a lot of our, um, yeah, I guess just a lot of that capacity for us to build up some adjustment to what was happening didn't exist. Um, it was also so sudden as well because I can remember when you were here and it was kind of all unfolding around us and by this stage we weren't familiar with lockdowns. We There were no border controls. There was no anything. And at the time I remember having discussions with you being like, should we be in a restaurant? Like what is this? And also Ben was overseas so and he was in Milan, <laughs> which was right. the original hotspot of it. Yeah. And we were kind of going and Ben was going to come back before you guys left. And then we were looking at that going, well, what if he's infected? What happens then? But there were no protocols for anything. So he just kind of came home and you guys went to Canberra and it turns out that he didn't have it anyway. So it was all like, because it was all just lucky. happening, like nothing. Yeah. It was so lucky. But and we really, we really didn't know. We just didn't know enough yet. Um, and that lack of knowledge I think was really frightening as well because it also meant that, um, yeah, how, what do we do to protect ourselves or protect the people that we love um, if we don't really know how to do that yet? Yeah, and if it's just this big kind of global catastrophe that no one really knows how to deal with. And now a year in, we do kind of have more protocols and more advice on how to do it, but that doesn't seem to be making it any easier, particularly for a lot of countries overseas. I do have to acknowledge we've had it very good in Australia, particularly Victoria's worked really hard to make sure that Australia has stayed safe. And even though we do have protocols and things in place, we're, we're doing quite well here in Australia. Things are almost back to normal. There's no overseas travel or, you know, big concerts or anything, but, you know, we're allowed to see people and go shopping and things like that. Uh, I have heard that accepting change is one of like the good things that we can do to help with our resilience. 
Do you think that that is something that we can choose to do or is it a bit more complicated than that? Like there, there seems to be some people dealing quite well and other people resisting pretty intensely. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess when I think about that, I'm thinking maybe I'd use the word helpful rather than good. Um, I think that accepting any change requires adjustment and um and as we were just talking about, the uh, adjustment happens so quickly. And I guess I'm really conscious as well that we're coming from this, from I guess our lives here in Australia and just being conscious, like you were just saying, of how lucky we are in lots of respects um, and also still acknowledging that there's just been a big change to the way that, that we've lived. And, and like I was just saying, we just really didn't get to make the small changes along the way. So I know um, I was thinking about a girlfriend who she lives in Canberra here and she loved lockdown. Like she lost 10 kilograms, she got fit. Um, She's like the only person that lost weight in lockdown. <laughs> she, she, she just exercised the whole time. Like her life is usually quite social. So she goes out to eat a lot. Um, she didn't do that. I think she actually just got... Um, light and easy or something at home and just you know so because she's not a cook um and so she um she actually really liked not having that social expectation as well so she loved lockdown and it really worked for her um but then I think you know um yeah I guess everybody's different aren't they and we all mm. came to this experience starting from um I guess different baselines so you know, I know, say, if you're somebody who's got um, a genetic predisposition to potentially having some sort of negative thinking um, or you've grown up in an environment where that sort of thinking style has um, has been something that's very learnt for you, not having those everyday distractions from your own thoughts and just being in your own house, um, you know, was really, really tricky and tough for people. You know, normally you might jump in your car and go, oh, look, you know, um, oh, there's that exhibition on that weekend, I saw that poster and think about that or, um, you know, oh, that car's got hail damage. Remember when we had that hailstorm? I wonder if that's like a their car or I wonder if they bought it cheap because I've heard you can buy it, you know. So <laughs> I guess there's so many different distractions that we have just from being able to, to leave our house and not be sitting in our thoughts. Um, and, um, and I think that for people who can have some of those thinking challenges. It was really tough. And I think everyone's individual circumstances made a really big difference as well. Like my specific circumstance, I did not deal very well with lockdown because I am a very social person. Ben loved it, loved every second of it, was low-key sad when the <laughs> lockdown was lifted. But my my biggest problem with it was, was that the lockdowns were so localized and because I'm new where I live, once you're 10 kilometers, you can have this amount of people over at your house rules were lifted. I couldn't see anyone that I love in Melbourne because Melbourne was locked down and I couldn't see anyone that I loved in Canberra because we had the border closure in between. So once the lockdown was lifted, it didn't really make much of a difference to me. Like I could see some of the new friends that I have become friends with since I've lived here, but like none of my long-term people, like none of my, my family and stuff. So that was, that was my really big thing. And, you know, being separated from my parents as well was just horrific, particularly yeah. because you didn't know when it was going to end. Yeah. It was, it was based on cases. So it wasn't kind of like, oh, you get to see them in October. It's like, you might get to see them in October 
if there's a low amount of cases. It was the unpredictability of it, wasn't it? Um, and so how do we control the unpredictable? But, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that you're really, really right. And I thought of you guys a lot down in Melbourne <laughs> and all my friends in Melbourne. And just even, you know, I know I've got a, one of my best mates lives um, in London and I was just messaging her and texting her the other day because it's been that big thing, hasn't it, about remember um, well, the talk about physical distancing, mm. sorry, social distancing, and they said actually the term we should be using for it is physical distancing Yeah, because we actually need an emotional connection now more than ever. And I don't know if you realise, but I know you're not much of a talky person on the phone, but I actually no, did I do call realize you. No, I do realise that. You did call me. <laughs> I did call you because I thought, no, like I'm going I'm gonna to yeah. reach out because I know that emotional connection is so important. And if that's shooting a text or if that's just a call, um, you know, whether or not somebody answers, um, I think, yeah, maintaining those connections was so important to people, um, however, however they could do that. Would you be able to explain in like psychology sciencey words what is actually happening to our brains right now if you can? Okay. So, um I guess uh when I talk about the impact and I'm going to call it I mean the pandemic has really been a um a trauma for um a lot of a lot of us. Um you know, obviously, as we've said, depending on where we live or where where our starting point was, it has had different impacts on us. But certainly, in terms of, you know, when we think of something that the definition the definition of trauma is our internal and our external resources um, uh, are not enough to cope with the threat, I guess, or there and and so that could change too. So as we were saying, if you were sort of, um, you know, say you were living in Melbourne with all of your mates within pretty much a 10k radius potentially your um recovery from or not recovery but that social connection would have happened much quicker um for you so um I, i'm blabbering a bit so i know you can cut this but i think that <laughs> basically what we've got when i think about the brain stuff we think about i use um dr bruce perry a lot of his work in his child trauma academy if people are interested i just have in to interrupt here and tell the listeners that um fliss worked years and years ago with dr bruce perry and he's been on oprah and so it's like an ongoing joke with us whenever fliss mentions dr bruce perry we go oh dr bruce perry because he sounds very very fancy <laughs> <laughs> it's been he's a, he's a child psychiatrist and if you are in the the developmental complex trauma sort of field, he's pretty much a rock god um, in terms of he's really one of the leaders um, in the trauma field. And I do feel the need to clarify just in case by any chance, which I seriously doubt, but he was to listen <laughs> with this. I, did, I didn't, I guess I kind of worked with him, but not really. So essentially he was giving a talk in an auditorium and I ran around the microphone and <laughs> let people like, and you know, people got to um, ask questions. But on that tour, he did, um, he did buy me a glass of wine to congratulate me for handing in my, my master's thesis, which she probably has no recollection of doing, but actually meant so much to me at the time. So, well, that's Dr. Bruce yeah, Perry. That's Dr. Bruce Perry. So, basically, he talks about um, thinking about the brain. And obviously, you know, the brain's a really dense organ. So, when we describe this, we think about it as um, he describes what's, if we think about it as an upside down triangle. So, we've got the cortex, so the thinking part of our brain up the top, and um, the subcortical parts of the brain. Um, below that so below the thinking part of the brain we've got the limbic that's a feeling 
feeling sort of social relationship part of the brain. Then we've got the diencephalon. Then we've got the brainstem. So the brainstem sits in the sort of bottom um, of the triangle. And that's basically where our stress response um, originates in the subcortical parts of our brain. So um, if we think about it, um, what's happened over the pandemic is our stress response has been activated and prolonged. Um, so our stress response, you know, we um, we sort of identify something as a threat or a pressure and um, sort of create a neural pathway to the part of our brain that's called your flight, fight, freeze response. And what we know is that the, the more that path is worn, the more we sort of use and activate that path, the more, um, the easier it is for our brain for that for that to become the response that we have. So I guess essentially the things that may not have used to stress us out that much or may not have used to worry us that much um, um, are doing that a lot more now because our, our stress response has, um, for a lot of us, has been more activated and that flight, fight, freeze um, part of our brain, that's the amygdala that sits in that relational, social part of the brain, um, has been more active than it may have been had we not felt under some sort of um, threat for such a long time. So I think we're all tired and I think that, and obviously, again, just need to clarify depending where we are um, and what our situation has been, but but I think a lot of us are feeling quite tired and a lot of us are feeling quite exhausted and it means that we actually just don't have the capacity to be dealing with um, things the way that we used to be dealing with them or expecting as much of ourselves as I don't think we should be expecting as much of ourselves as, as um, we may have prior to this. And London, like you mentioned London before, they've been doing it so hard because they went into hard lockdown and then came back out and then went back in and they've kind of just been in permanent lockdown for quite a while. Like mm. how, how is Hyde's going? Heidi is one of um, Fliss's really close friends who lives in London. Uh, Hyde's actually said she loves this life much oh. more than that other life. <laughs> so again, but I she think, but she works in a gallery. How has that been? She does, working? but I think for her, um, she's got two kids, two school age kids, um, and so I think um, the opportunity to work from home and cut down on travel time and to spend more time with the kids. I mean, obviously, there's been the pressure of education, um, having two kids at school age, so that's a whole thing in itself. But I think um, overall, I think um, I'm speaking for her now, so sorry, Hides, if you do end up listening <laughs> to this, but I think overall um, the less demands and the less pressure, um, she's she's actually quite, um, has been quite a positive thing for her. Um, but in saying that, I think, um, you know, obviously there's life situations that happen, all her families here. Um, yeah. And I think that, like you were saying, being away from your parents, her being away from her family over this period has been particularly challenging. And no end in sight. And also people who have who do live abroad from their family would probably go this long without seeing them anyway, but it's the fact that the choice has been taken away mm. from them that hurts the most. It's that lack of control. Um, you know, I, I know somebody who was saying her family, she only ever thought was a 24-hour flight away. Um, so she was happy to live over here, fine to live in Australia, mm. um, but that's not the case anymore and that's really hard. So how do we re-engage and keep re-engaging our resilience when we are so depleted? Um, well, I think part of what's happened, um, like we were just saying, is our 
um, our connection to others. You know, I think um, we need to feel loved and we need to feel safe. Um, and so um, I think that basically um, keeping up as many sort of social connections as, as we can and as we're able to in whatever form we're able to do that is important. I think the other thing that's happening um, for people is, you know, when I was talking about the brain, I was talking about the thinking part of the brain. So we can do a lot of top-down processing. So we can sort of say, um, you know, this is going to come to an end and um, this is going to be over at some stage. And, you know, it is most likely that the majority of us are going to be okay, you know. So there's scripts like that that we can tell ourselves when we can access that thinking part of the brain. However, I was talking about those subcortical parts of the brain and what we know is that stress response originates in the brain stem and it sort of shards through the other parts of your brain. And so the more stressed we are, one of my favourite sayings in this sort of work is under stress and duress, we regress. So literally the more stress we get, the dumber we get. So, you know, that's always when if you're rushing out the door, that will be when you can't find your car keys or, yeah. you know, that. And so, yeah. And so, yeah. So I think basically we've been under this pressure for a long, a lot of time. I think that a lot of our, um, our um, baselines change, like we were saying, we are sort of um, fatiguing. And so I think what we need to do is look at regulating more of those subcortical parts of the brain. So when we can do that thinking stuff, great. But if we're really stressed, we can't think as clearly. And, and so I think we actually need to be doing things um, that are regulating for us. And by that, I mean, whatever is regulating for you. So if that's going for a walk, if that's reading a book, if that's doing yoga. And the thing that we're talking about a lot in the, the field of work that I walk in is we call doing it therapeutic dosage. So, you know, previously you may have um, done a 45-minute yoga class and that will probably keep you regulated for about an hour and a half. However, because we've been under a prolonged amount of stress for a prolonged period of time now, we actually need to be dosing ourselves more regularly. And that doesn't mean we need to do a 45-minute yoga class every hour. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but we need to go, okay, what's that for me? So if that might be, okay, um, say every hour I'm going to get up from my seat and I'm actually going to walk around the house three times. Um, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do some deep breathing. I'm going to get up and I'm going to read two pages of that book. Like I think that we need to be doing that more regularly to keep the subcortical parts of our brain calmer because the calmer they are, the more easily we're going to be able to access the thinking part of our brain to be remembering some of those helpful scripts for us that will also help keep us calm. Does that make that, sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I love everything that you just said. It just reminded me to tell the listeners uh, a little story about Fliss. She's probably cringing right now. Like, yeah, what are you yeah. going to say? <laughs> what are you going to say, Carly? One of the things that I love the most about Fliss, like she's an incredibly calm person. She's basically like liquid honey. Like everyone who meets her is just like, oh, being around you is so pleasant. And it is. I have noticed that. Fliss is actually quite scatterbrained and loses things quite a lot, which <laughs> sounds very strange for someone who's very calm, but she's so calm about it. Like she will lose her wallet and be like, oh, 
my wallet's not in the car <laughs> and it's also not in my house. Ah, that's okay. It'll turn up. One time when we were living in Melbourne, she lost her wallet for, it was days, like it was so long. And then you didn't seem particularly stressed about it. I found her wallet in a shopping bag in my room on the floor and I messaged her and I was like, oh my God, I've got your wallet. And I'd had it for like five days because I remembered having it from when we went shopping and you were like, oh, cool. Bring it over to my house tonight. If I had lost my wallet for five days, I would have been freaking out. I would have had to have done a 45-minute yoga class every hour for the for the entire five days leading up to that. I know. I get, I, the thing with that um, is that, like, is that, do you do finding, that on purpose? No, well, finding things is kind of my superpower. And it it's is, like yeah. I always trust myself enough in the moment that I would have done something sensible with it. Yes. So I know that I wouldn't have left my wallet on the car and driven off with it on the roof. Like I knew odds are it was at your house or my house or maybe under my car seat, but it would be somewhere safe. <laughs> and it generally always is, but you don't seem to be in a real hurry to find it. You're kind of like, oh, whatever, like you can buy me coffee for five days and I'll just pay you back when I find my wallet. I did always wonder if that was a conscious effort on your half to not stress out about it. Because I can remember one time you were at my house and I was looking for my passport and I couldn't find it. And I was doing my self-flagellation thing of like, you idiot, Carly, why didn't you put your passport in a good spot? And I ended up finding it. And I was saying this to myself in front of you. And I was like, oh, idiot, Carly, just the worst. And then once I found it and we were sitting down having a glass of wine lady, you were like, I have to say, Carly, I didn't like that negative self-talk that you were engaging in before. And I didn't even realise that, like, I was doing that or that it was even something that I should not do. But that comes back to me a lot, actually. You Like, anytime I, I engage in negative self-talk, either in my head or out loud, as I'm prone to do, I do hear your voice in my head being like, but I, I don't like that negative self-talk there, Carly. So it's like it's something that's actually quite stayed with me. I didn't know that. Thank you. I think something yeah. else that you've said um, that was very kind but that's really important I think at the moment as well is for us to really be aware that emotions are catching, yeah. So I tell kids and families that I work with that um, uh, emotions are like yawns So and we might play a game. So if you yawn, I'll yawn. And so I think that, that that's really important for us to remember at the moment as well, you know. So our emotions and our feelings are catching and neurobiologically as well we we all have mirror neurons and that feed off each other also apparently with dogs which is interesting but that's an aside um so i think that if the more that we can stay regulated and can stay calm people will catch that calm you know um and the calmer we are the clearer we can all think and the more in control of the stress we will be. But I I'm definitely. Glad, I do you know? I, I just thought, how psychology of me to say that to you about, about your negative self-talk. I don't actually remember that conversation, but um, but I really love hearing that it's still something that you think about today. Are you there? It was years ago. Oh, I made lost- a note. Sorry, my internet connection became unstable. No, so did mine. That's okay. Oh. We will go from, <clears throat> I will ask the final question and we can just cut little bits out of that. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any tips for adults to help them with resilience in their second year of pandemic 
slash lockdown or perhaps if your country happens to be a little bit further ahead, maybe rebuilding your life again. Mm. Can I just ask, because you've got readers from all over the world, oh, sorry, listeners, not readers, yeah. So I think um, I guess that's something that I feel that I just need to sort of talk to. I can really only talk to to our experience here and, and the experience that that we've had particularly here in where I am in Canberra, I guess, acknowledging that this is going to be the continuum of this stuff. Hopefully it will be helpful for people, but it is going to be different based on wherever they are. I think the thing about resiliency is um, it's not actually a trait. So, you know, some people think, oh, are you a resilient person or not a resilient person? Um, it, resiliency will change and it will change depending on our capacity. You know, some days we're going to be able to be more resilient to manage more than other days. And I guess that's going to depend on where we are on that arousal continuum. You know, the more stress we get, the dumber we get. Um, the more stress we get, the more irritable we get. And so um, I guess for all of us just to know that, um, that, um, that yeah, it is, it is um, a changing thing, I guess. Um, the other thing I think to remember, you know how I was saying under stress and duress we regress? Yeah, I love um, that. So I think that part of a really prime example of that was hoarding of toilet paper. Oh my you god, know? totally. I mean, that was remember, that we- <laughs> remember the toilet paper gate. That was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. That was something that people could control. Um yeah. so but I think I think um, well, you know, except for when it was all sold and then we couldn't really control it. I still don't understand why people got quite so caught up on the toilet paper, but I read somewhere that it was a hygiene response. So right. because it because the pandemic was an illness, oh. it it was a it was a hygiene response. It was like, well, I need to be able to protect myself and keep myself clean and this is what I need to do. And then I also heard that there was like a bit of propaganda around China being in charge of most of the toilet paper and because China was sort of one of the originating places I'm not saying it came from China I've, that's that's not my that's not my belief at all but it was one of the original places where it kind of you know popped up quite prolifically that you know China was going to stop their supply of of toilet paper like they wouldn't be able to get it out because it might be contaminated so they're like we have to buy all of the all of the toilet paper that we can that's local and like yeah there, there just so many weird reasons behind it we miss the toilet paper train totally at the beginning so we we were like going we had to go so our local IGA was lovely but they were like you you had to go to this back door and just be like I don't have any toilet paper and they would give you like a six pack for a family of three or a 12 pack if you had more than three kids yeah it was intense but you had to ask for it because they weren't putting it on the shelves because people were just buying so much of it do you know we were um we actually had ordered Who Gives a Crap and we were part of that before this even happened. And so we woke up one morning to an email saying, hey, like, we'll fulfil your orders but don't order more and don't recommend. This is my words. I can't remember exactly. But I was like, can you imagine being those toilet paper companies? Like waking up one morning and going, oh, Oh my my God. Like how must that have been? Just an aside, um, do you know the Who Gives a Crap guy delivered our our delivery the other day and he got stuck in the driveway because his tyres were really bald. Oh so no. the who gives a crap guy literally left skid marks. <laughs> oh, my God, I so love I don't know if we're going to cut this out or not, but I'll get that. No, we're definitely you. leaving that in. Okay. 
<laughs> we'll get back to what you were saying, what can people do? So I think the thing for us to remember at the moment is that stress is actually a really important part of building resiliency and stress is actually a really important part of building <laughs> tolerance. Um, so I think what we need to know is that when where we can, when we can make things predictable, when we can have moderate stress, um, we can control and structure that. We're going, things are going to feel more in our control, more in our power, and that's actually going to help us to be able to be resilient. So I think we, we need to be looking at how can we control what we can control, you know, and if that's around bedtime or mealtime or time of day that you Zoom nana or, you know, whatever that is, um, you know, when you go for your walks or your runs um, or whatever whatever it is you do, having as much structure and routine and predictability in that, particularly your exposure to social, to social media or, or any media in general, you know, I think we all just got so flooded initially and we almost were so drawn to it that we couldn't have a break. So thinking, okay, well, what what dosing do I want um, around that? You know, is that a bit in the morning or a bit in the evening or just once a day and that's enough for me? Um, so I think really looking at how we can create predictable, moderate, controllable stress in our lives in order to build resiliency um, is something that we can all do. Um, you know, just the usual things like, exercising, like sleep hygiene, like, you know, all of the things that we know are good for us, making the effort to stay connected. Um, yeah, and the other thing that um, that I think can be really important is, you know, I was talking about that therapeutic dosage before. So thinking about what that is for you and how you can how you can implement and build that and what you need. We're all different, yeah? So you might need something every two hours. I may need something every 20 minutes, you know, whatever that is for you. And just a little aside, um, do you know that's what they actually do with seals when they, apparently, when they teach seals tricks? So because that's, you know, you go and you see a seal show and there's like a lot of, I guess, performance pressure that the seals have. And then they actually, I don't know if you've, I mean, it's been years since I've seen one, but they they call, okay, do their threes or do their fives or something and they actually like swim like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Regulated, like so, so we say it needs to be patterned, rhythmic, you know, patterned, repetitive and rhythmic behaviour that's actually calming for those subcortical parts of our brain. Oh, so it's kind of like a calm down thing <clears throat> for them. Yeah, yeah. So we need to think about that for ourselves. Is that listening to music? Is that stretching? Is that marching? Is that, you know, whatever things soothe our subcortical parts of our brain breathing um, and just integrating that, dosing ourselves therapeutically as much as we need to on a regular basis so that we are keeping our stress response and, and our the lower the subcortical parts of our brain more regulated so that we can think more clearly and access those really helpful thoughts like this is going to finish this is going to be over we are going to see the other side of this pandemic After my chat with Fliss, I honed my own resilience practices down to three essential items 
Just a note to say that I have not dealt with the pandemic very well at all. I found lockdown incredibly stressful and sad. The state border closures were really the worst for me. Being separated by roadblocks from my family was very traumatic for me and I get triggered by border closures even now. We're in a good position now in Australia, but Victorians and Melburnians are still reeling from our experiences from last year. So I do feel like I'm coming at this episode from a position of privilege, but I'm still carrying a lot of wounds from last year about how stressful it was having our government stopping me from seeing my mum, which I really didn't like. (laughs) Uh, On that note, here is what has been getting me through. Uh, I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I like to repeat the mantra, today I am okay. Most of the time, what is happening is not catastrophic and can be fixed. If you made it through the day and all your loved ones are safe and well, that's a day that you can say, today I am okay. The pandemic has stripped us all back to the bare bones and has made us all focus on what's most important. In the last year, I've lost clients. I've lost speaking work and traveling opportunities. For long periods, I've lost the cornerstone of my health, which is my gym classes. I've lost face-to-face time with family and friends, which has been just so awful for an extrovert who works from home and has moved to a new town. My best mate moved to New Zealand last year and I was robbed of the opportunity to see her before she left. And yeah, all of these things are really shit and it's okay to feel shit about them. But on nearly every day last year, I was able to say, today I am okay. There will be days you won't be able to say that. And those days are hard, but they are hopefully rare and irregular. Even when I lost all my income last year and had to scramble to replace it, I was able to say, today I'm okay. It's important to acknowledge the privilege in being able to say that you're okay when you've lost your income. And for some people that would be a lot more stressful, but in most cases, losing your income is an entirely fixable problem. It's stressful and it feels yucky, but it's fixable. I was able to fix that problem quite quickly, which was great, but honestly, I would have just kept on going until I found work that paid. I love copywriting and content creation, but I'm not above other kinds of work. And if my loss of income resulted in me having to do work I was less than enthused about, fine. If you have a job you're not excited about, you can still say today I'm okay. And that's really lucky. I think the general lowering of our life expectations has been very healthy over the past two years. I also implemented my principal governing procedures. I've always been a lover of routines and rituals, but most of the routines I've developed over my lifetime are for normal life, not pandemic life. I made a promise to myself during lockdown and for the foreseeable future to stick staunchly to my health principles. 45 minute walk every day, work out at least three days a week, eating low carb, high fat and intermittent fasting. I don't do any of those things for vanity reasons. I do them because they make me feel good and energized. I also double down on my no drinking alone rule. So my partner doesn't drink and I don't really like drinking alone. So I barely drank alcohol at all last year, unless I was with other people. Those are just some things that I cling to really strongly because I feel my best when I honor those governing principles. And that way I can tell if my mental health is slipping further than I think it's slipping. If I'm doing all of those things and I don't feel great in my head or in my body, I know I need to work on that because everything else is in place. So there's something a bit deeper going on. It's kind of my baseline. Another thing I did was concentrate on connections with people. As Bliss said, I am not much of a phone person. I don't really call my friends. I'm far more likely to not talk to them for three months and then go back to Canberra or go to Melbourne and visit them and have some quality time with them face to face. 
I don't know why. That's just the way I am. I'm notoriously independent and I'm not really a high needs friend. So I'll go months without talking to the people I love, but I had to really make the effort to connect last year because there were no other opportunities. I've never taken my friends for granted, but a lot of my friendships were solidified over the past year and I've reappreciated how important it's been to nurture and maintain those friendships. Another thing I'm struggling with this year is bouncing back. I keep waiting for my energy to return and for me to go back to who I was before this hit, but I may have to just be semi-permanently more gentle on myself. There's so much I wanted to do last year and I hardly scratched the surface and it's looking like that will happen again this year and I have to be okay with that. You know, I have a toddler and I work full time and I live on two acres and I have to take care of that. So my grand dreams and projects might just have to wait a little longer. And you want to know what? Yours can too. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at Very Excellent Habits. You can also email me, contact at carlyjacobs.com. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show, just like Rebecca did, if you visit speakpipe.com forward slash very excellent habits. Also, if you love the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Even $5 a month would be a huge help in covering production, editing, equipment, promotion, and guest wrangling. Just visit patreon.com forward slash very excellent habits. Oh, and one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. It's the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life.